Hello, fight fans, and welcome back to the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is episode number 212, and today we have a very special guest. Mr. Steve Kim of ESPN is going to join us. We're going to talk about Robert Herlanius scoring the upset special over Adam Kamnachi this Saturday in Brooklyn, and a preview of the Stevenson Mariaga fight on ESPN this weekend. So we got a lot to talk about, guys. Uh, as always, I remind you to please make sure you go over to iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, everywhere else, Spotify. I can't even think of all the damn apps that are out there to have audio podcasts, but please. Give us a like, give us a review, give us a rating. And of course, right here on YouTube, for those of you watching live all over the world, I thank you very, very much. Please thumbs up this video. Make sure you're subscribed and make sure that you have the notifications bell clicked so that you know the second we go live here on the show, on YouTube that is. All right, let me get my audio set up here. Uh, we got a couple of news and notes items to go over, but I think that uh, maybe I'll jump into some of this real quick. More fights being announced. More fights being announced. And oh yeah, uh, I see one of you guys already in the chat is bringing up the audio calls last week on YouTube. That issue has been resolved, so you guys will be able to hear the calls. That was really embarrassing going back and watching that video on YouTube last week and just seeing me sit there silent for minutes at a time. But I appreciate you guys for uh, soldiering through that with me. Uh, can't tell you. Uh, it, look, man, technology, it just happens. So there is an issue with a plug-in that's since been resolved, and you guys should be able to hear the phone calls perfectly this weekend or this today on this episode on YouTube. Uh, clearly, I'm still waking up, man. My head is still spinning. Lots of work going on. But real quick, uh, more fights being scheduled. So Sergey Kovalev against Sullivan Barrera, April 25. That is a hell of a crossroads matchup. That's a damn good fight that can't miss. Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin on May 2nd. Now that's the same day we're eventually going to get Canelo Alvarez uh, fighting against Billy Joe Saunders. It's not officially official yet. But that's the fight that's going to happen May 2nd. So that's a huge day. And Josh Taylor's fighting that day in Scotland, too. That's a huge boxing day. I like that heavyweight matchup. Look, yeah, Povekin is past his best days. Dillian White is hit or miss, depending on what's going on with him. Behind the scenes, we know he's had issues with UCAD and performance-enhancing drugs. Hopefully for that one, actually both of those guys have had issues with performance-enhancing drugs. Hopefully there's VADA testing for that one. I'll start asking. Either way, it's a good matchup. They're also talking about Leo Santa Cruz versus Gervonta Davis. Of course, I've been telling you guys since last year, that is the plan over there at uh, Mayweather Promotions. That's what they want to do with Gervonta Davis. They basically want to use Leo's name and his fan base and a broader Mexican-American fan base to build up Gervonta Davis's name. It's the same thing they did with PBC, uh, with Mikey Garcia and Errol Spence. I see the same thing there. And sadly, if that fight comes off and it's a strong possibility for later this year, that's probably going to pay-per-view. That is not a pay-per-view fight, man. So back to Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders. So talk about that fight for May 2nd. Apparently, John Skipper at the zone is trying to work out a three-fight deal 
with Canelo, where it's Billy Joe Sanders May 2nd, the Golovkin rubber match, that's the way I see it anyway, is a rubber match, on September 12th, and then possibly very late this year in December or early next year, a fight against Ryota Murata in Japan. That would be a good three-fight run for Canelo. The fight against Billy Joe Saunders would be at 168. The rubber match against Golovkin, probably at 168 as well. And then I don't know if he drops down to 164 Murata or not. But I kind of like that uh, three-fight deal. We'll see if it happens. Canelo Alvarez is really being a diva right now. As soon as, look, I posted a story on ringtv.com last week talking about that fight because it's basically done. The, the terms are agreed upon. Everything's pretty much done. Canelo, though, went on social saying, look, it's not official until I say it's official, right? He's kind of pulling that diva move. I think Canelo really seems to have the zone by the balls. And I just wonder at some point, when do they get sick of that shit and just cut his contract? Because he's not bringing in the money so far for what they're paying him. And I got to say, man, Canelo, he is a huge star in the sport of boxing, obviously, particularly in Mexico and with Mexican-American fans. But in the broader fan base outside you know, in the United States and outside of the USA, when you go to the UK and other parts of the world, is Canelo Alvarez really as popular and mainstream and a, a crossover star as some of these other guys? I mean, now Tyson Fury is starting to enter that, that world himself. And he's so much more willing to work with the media and to try to cross over. He didn't just come over here to the USA and fight here in Las Vegas once he signed with top rank. He's come over here to the USA and done all the media stuff. He's been on all sorts of shows, podcasts, TV, radio, right? He's all over the place promoting himself. If he beats Deontay Wilder again, I, I think he's right up there with Canelo. And he's a heavyweight and he likes crossing over and doing the media stuff. Of course, you got Anthony Joshua. And there are other guys coming up that I just, I think Canelo Alvarez, his value Outside of the Mexican-American and Mexican fan base, I think it might be overvalued. The dude brings in the most money. You cannot deny that. He does the biggest gates in Las Vegas. There's no denying that. But on the zone, look, they, they just announced that they're going to start doing 200-plus uh, channels and, and everything, right? So, uh, or 200-plus countries slash, I think territories is the word. It's not always countries. But one of them is Mexico. So it makes sense that if you're promoting Canelo, you go into the Mexican market. It also makes sense that if you're going to enter the UK market, you have him fight either Billy Joe Sanders or Callum Smith. Neither of those guys is a huge star in the UK, but they're known enough to where I think that would those would obviously be big events over there. So I like the zone's plan. But how much longer can Canelo keep screwing with them? How much before they just say, hey, man, you're not worth the money. We got other guys. I don't know. We shall find out. Uh, also, I found this interesting. You guys have probably seen this interview. Pauli Malignaggi was on some radio show. I can't remember the name of the radio show, but it was a, a fight-specific radio show. And I think it was Sirius XM. Anyway, he talked about Deontay Wilder trying to get him and Steve Farhood fired from Showtime. Basically for just saying that he felt 
Tyson Fury won that first fight. So I thought I found that interesting. We'll talk more about that in a second. I think our special guest is on the line. Let me make sure. Hopefully you guys can hear the phones this week. Let me get over here to uh, my man, Steve Kim of ESPN. What's up, man? Michael, can you hear me? I can hear you, sir. Hopefully everyone on the chat can hear you. We had some issues with the phones uh, last week, but I think we're good this week. How you doing? How's everything in California? I'm doing well. Can't complain. Yeah, man, you've been a traveling man. You've been all over. You've been in uh, Vegas, uh, Dallas. What's the next fight that you're traveling to to cover? Well, um, if we're not completely shut down here with the coronavirus, I plan on being at the uh, Nano Inouye John Rel Casamayor fight late awesome. April. And then whenever this is announced, I still believe it's going to happen. Uh, Bob Aaron told me it is absolutely going to happen May 30th. I believe in Madison Square Garden, Teofimo Lopez taking on Vasil Lomachenko. And there's also a couple local shows. I'll be at a couple of Golden Boy cards, March 19th, March 28th. Tom Loeffler has a show, I believe, on the 29th, his uh, Hollywood Fight Night Club. So uh, I'll be busy. There's enough fights to go around. Yeah, man, I can't keep up with you and what time zone you're in. You're all over the place these days with ESPN. But uh, you mentioned April 25th, Las Vegas, Inouye, Casimiro. That's an awesome fight. Talking about Vegas, though, let's go back a few weeks to uh, Wilder Fury, that rematch. And, and look, I, we don't have to go blow by blow and analyze the fight. It's been overanalyzed enough already. But I just wanted to get your sense of just your gut feel of how that third fight's going to go. Because the conventional wisdom seems to be that Fury's just going to bulldoze him again. But there's part of me that wonders if Wilder's going to come in a lot more defensive-minded, play cover-up, and his corner will feel pressured to not stop the fight at any cost. And I wonder if this could be more competitive, maybe a bit of a stinker, and go the distance. What's your gut feel? Well, the issue is, um, if you're going to play more defensive, he's going to have to clean up really his fundamentals. I mean, just yeah. basically his footwork and his balance. You know, the one, if you take away the ability for Deontay Wilder to roll forward with that right hand and punch downhill, I'm not so sure what else he could really do. I still think he has a pretty decent puncher's chance the way he could punch, but the thing that was really noticeable in being there is that if Deontay Wilder is knocked back on his heel, it really does leave him impotent in a lot of ways offensively. And he doesn't have what you'd call a clean-up check hook. Uh, he's not a natural counterpuncher. And he has to really initiate the action as he sees an opening and then zaps guys with quick right hands. He never really got the chances. He was smothered. You know, if you look at the overall scope of this rivalry, uh, they have fought, what, about 19 rounds. And I yeah. think it, it's safe to say that 15 or 16 of those rounds have been won by one guy. and Easily. From the second knockdown that took place in the first fight and the 12th round, if you take away the last minute and a half, then you go through the rematch, you can argue the last eight and a half rounds have been basically dominated by one guy. And you have to give Tyson Fury a lot of credit. We all thought him coming in heavier was the worst thing he could do, but it turned out him and his father were absolutely correct. More is more for... Tyson Fury and the change in philosophy to be a little bit more aggressive on the front foot, 
with that Kronk philosophy, if there's such a thing, it really did pay dividends. And I, I, I've spoken to Sugar Hill a few times since that win, and he told me that one of the first things that he told Tyson was in the gym that when I'm working mitts with you and you're coming forward on me, instead of backing away, you don't even know how intimidating you look at right. 6'9", and then adding another 15 pounds. So, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't see how the rematch would be any different if Wilder suddenly becomes more defensive because now you're asking a guy to throw things in the reverse gear when he really doesn't have one. Yeah, he never learned to fight backing up, right? Uh, the one thing with Tyson Fury is we've seen him – have issues outside the ring, right? He, he he was on top before when he beat Klitschko, and he didn't know how to handle that. Do you get a sense, though, that now that he's with top rank in all their experience, I mean, Grandpa Bob's been doing this for decades, that they have the right people around Tyson Fury now to make sure that he's staying focused and on point? You know, they might, but again, this is a, um, this is a grown-up, He's an individual. I'm not so sure what Bob Arum or anyone else can really do. I mean, look, he was probably with pretty good people back when he beat Vladimir Klitschko in 2015. I've seen a few interviews uh, since the victory a couple weeks ago. He seems to be in a pretty good place. You would hope for his own personal uh, health and, and safety that he wouldn't revert back to certain habits. You know, again, that's all up to him. I don't really know if having a new trainer, manager, promoter can really keep an individual from acting the way they are, reverting back to certain bad habits. There's certainly a lot on the line. What I find most interesting about Fury at this point is that he's reiterated, he's only got a couple of fights left. He'd like to fight the rematch and then fight Anthony Joshua for all the marbles. Should he beat Kulev and then walk away? Now I can look at it both ways. Um, you could say on one hand, maybe this guy's already got one foot out the door, or you could say he's going to be fully focused for the next year of his life before he does actually retire. But uh, I will say this, looking at that fight in person, didn't have the greatest seats and watching it again. I don't know if anyone currently beats that version of Tyson Fury. Do you think that the fight with AJ can actually happen? Or is that just bullshit posturing? Because it just seems for years, it was a year or two, both the Wilder camp and the Joshua camp, their promotion, their management, went back and forth with these phony offers. Now, look, the, the offer from zone for $100 million, apparently that was pretty legit. That was a multi-fight deal that Wilder's people turned down. But do you really get a sense that Fury, and you have a good relationship, obviously, with top rank, that that side is willing to, to do that fight with Joshua. Yeah, I do. You know, I, I spoke to Eddie Hearn in the week after that fight when I was in Frisco. And then, look, there's actually a history of top rank and maximum sports working together. And I've learned one thing. If there's enough money to chop up between two parties, they will generally do it. Now, look, uh, Bob is telling people our focus is on July 18th or whatever that third fight is. And then they believe that, hey, Pulev has a puncher's chance against Anthony Joshua. Now, should Fury and Joshua win their upcoming bouts during the summer, I think there's only one fight to make in the heavyweight division. Right. And when you have two fighters 
and AJ and Fury, who have clearly stated that that's the fight we want. And then Eddie Hart and Bob Aram have proven that they will do business together. They will break bread. I actually think there's a way to do it. I mean, I, I know that it, when speaking to Eddie a couple of weeks ago, he said, Steve, I was actually very heartened by the fact that we're talking a lot more, that there is open dialogue. So, you know, first we got to get through these next couple of fights, but I don't see what other fight would actually hold the attention of the stateside audience and the worldwide audience should they both win their upcoming fights. And I want to talk a little bit about Deontay Wilder and some of his fans, just the reaction. I know you don't want to probably go down that rabbit hole too much, but obviously the week after the fight with Fury, I mean, Wilder had every excuse under the book. There was a third puncher from the grassy knoll, right? The, The heavy costume. And then he kind of stopped. He put out a weird social media video that kind of had a cult leaderish vibe. After that, though, he's been kind of silent. But some of his fans continue with this glove stuff. I just saw Steve Cunningham about an hour ago tweet a video accusing Tyson Fury of tampering with his gloves and stuff. This is a former cruiserweight champion of the world doing this stuff weeks after the fight. Steve, you've been doing this a lot longer than me at a much higher level than me. Have you ever seen a reaction like this after a loss, ever? Does anything in your mind compare to this? Not really. I mean, look, a lot of those guys I, I wouldn't take seriously. You know, they, they right. like to call themselves new media. I new call media, them not baby. Media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I call them not media. <laughs> right. You know, if you actually know the process of the way the gloves and the hand wraps are actually looked over by inspectors and signed off on. And while there's team. Be downright You'd have to be downright David Copperfield to get away with some of that stuff. And some of these videos are laughable. Uh, I try not to pay attention to them. They, they are amusing. You know, then you have other guys saying that that they have sources that there were problems with the drug test. Well, Mauricio Suleiman tweeted out yesterday that both guys came out clean. You know, there's an old saying, consider the source. Right. And I would just leave it at that. I don't think that the narrative should be controlled by a fringe element. You yeah, know, that, that I, fringe I, is loud. They're very loud, but they are the fringe. You know, so, look, I thought it was interesting that Deontay actually revealed what he thought about his own costume that he chose, um, given the fact that it really doesn't matter what the reasoning is for his performance in the rematch, given the fact that the third fight was in the contract. He was going to get the fight regardless. But, you know, it is what it is. He can do what he wants. I actually think that there was a lot of pressure put on him as some of the questions swirled about, you know, is there any meaning to you fighting on Black History Month? Well, going back to the first fight, I don't remember any racial element back to the first fight. I really don't. Well, Um, there was the whole to this day thing. Well, that's okay. That that was one guy doing it, um, and then Tyson Fury shot that down real quickly. Right. Uh, going into this third fight, Deontay seems to be putting a lot of pressure on himself because what if he loses again? Then what? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I mean, if he loses again badly because of the way he's handled this first loss. I don't know how you come back from that. I just don't. Um, 
Speaking of losses, Mikey Garcia came back from his first loss against Zero Spence uh, against Jesse Vargas. You were how about that transition? That wasn't too bad. <laughs> you were there for that fight, Steve. Um, what did you think about Garcia's performance? Does that win over Jesse Vargas make him a top ten welterweight? And how does he fare against Manny Pacquiao, who I understand Mikey's got that that sharp one too, comes right down the middle. It's the one thing he does really, really at the elite level, in my opinion. But if Manny can avoid that, does Manny not just box circles around him and win a 12-round decision? Well, look, Jesse Vargas has always been kind of a bottom part of the top 10 welterweight He's competed well. Only the very best in the sport have beaten him. So that's a good win for uh, Mikey Garcia. Do I, I've always said Mikey Garcia is an elite fighter. Really good fundamentally. Sound as any fighter. He's a textbook on boxing technique. But weight classes matter. And between 135 and 140, he's probably one of the elite fighters, blue chip boxers in the world. And 147, I think a lot of his effectiveness has dissipated because doesn't have the longest reach. He's a little bit squat, not the tallest guy. Doesn't have fight-changing power like he would at 135. Right. But he's still very effective now. I, I think he's a top 10 welterweight because Jesse Vargas was probably rated in the bottom half of that top 10. Um, but the question then becomes, if he's going to go big game hunting, we already saw what happened with Errol Spence last year. He got blanked over 12 rounds. So then the, so then the focus turns to Manny Pacquiao. Now, I'm probably in the minority. I actually think he troubles Manny a lot. Manny himself could probably fight at 40. I just remember three, four years ago, even Freddie telling me that Manny could probably make 135 if they had to, because I know there was a little bit of chatter about a Lomachenko fight at that period of time. Right. Yeah. And that particular style that, that Mikey has, very, very counter-punching style. He's a bit of a sniper. Uh, punching off that back foot as he lets guys come right down the wheelhouse. I think it's a real tough fight. Now, the problem is if Manny is able to get that lateral movement going and hit on the fly, that becomes an issue for Mikey because Mikey is so selective to a point that are certain rounds, he's like that sniper. He lines you up in the crosshairs, and he's looking for that absolute perfect shot, which is great if you can get it. But if you can't, there's, there's going to be minutes at a time where there's almost no effective activity coming from him, and I can see Manny piling up a lot of rounds. But, like I said, size matters. It's the one fight in that welterweight division where Crawford is probably too long and athletic. We already saw what happened with Spence. Porter's an absolute bulldog. He's a bulldozer in there. Um, Keith Thurman, probably with that right hand, he might be out-technique, but he's not outpowered by Mikey Garcia. From a financial and physical standpoint, if there's a fight at welterweight that does make sense for Mikey Garcia, it is absolutely Manny Pacquiao. And I actually think of that as a pretty tough fight. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I don't particularly think Mikey Garcia deserves that fight, but I think that's probably what we're going to get. And just because of styles and where Manny's at in his career – I think it's a pretty good fight. Uh, CJ Duncan in the super chat. Thanks, CJ. He says, uh, this bartender is slower than Yuri Boy Campus. Steve Kim at Canelo versus Triple G. Good times. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, but it's a funny line. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been known to make a few of those. 
You have some occasional bombs too, but I, I do as well, so I, I can't hate. But uh, okay, you know what? Let me ask you this, Steve. Let's just what the hell is up with Gennady Golovkin? We are into March, and there's no fight announced. We know he's going to fight the Polish kid. Is mandatory. Are they waiting for the Canelo Saunders thing to be officially official? Are they waiting for the rubber match to be signed? Because I've heard that there's like a three fight deal thing going on between DeZone and Canelo. What's up? I know he, he apparently hurt his calf, but I just thought that Golovkin would have a fight at least scheduled by now. What's going on there? Well, they were they were supposed to, but he look his body is breaking down a bit. He's gonna oh, yeah. turn thirty eight, I believe, in the first week of April, so that's about what, three, four weeks away. You know, he's changed a little bit. He's not the same guy that he was. I don't think he's quite as trusting as he was after the breakup with his manager and certain people have become collateral damage because of that. Uh, it didn't really work out at the snack facilities. You know, yeah. look, when to you go to mildly. snack facilities and you work with Victor Conte, you do it his way. If you don't do it his way, you're going to pack your bags. And then right. Victor will pack the bags for you. Um, I don't know what's going to happen then. So, there was an injury. If it wasn't for an injury, they would have had a fight scheduled. They have asked the IBF for an extension. I believe he will fight sometime in uh, May. And the ex- expectation is from the zone is that they are going to convince Canelo to fight Golovkin in September. Now, even even if they are, let's say, guaranteed a fight with Canelo in September, I asked somebody that works with Golovkin, does that mean you would wait till September? And they said, absolutely not. They are going to fight before then. Uh, they have an IBF belt. They care about the belts. And that's a mandatory due against Sersmeta. And I was told explicitly last week that they are going to fulfill it, even though Mike, I believe that third fight will take place at 168. That's what I was going to ask you about. It seems to me the plan is Canelo fights Billy Joe Saunders. If he beats him, he takes a, a title, an official title at super middleweight, not the piece of a title he had with Rocky Fielding, but an actual title belt. And then Golovkin can, can go up and challenge for that title. Should he lose in that third fight with uh, with Canelo, he can move back down to 160. He still has his title. No harm, no foul. Does that seem to be the play here? Are they going to fight at the yeah. full 168 limit, or will it be a catch weight? No, you know, look, here's what I believe. That nobody tells Canelo what to do. Nobody. Yeah. And it's just the way his ego is wired. And my understanding is his relationship with Golden Boy is still very rocky. As I like to say, if they were a married couple, they'd be sleeping in separate beds. Okay. Right. Um, but with that said, there is a contract. It's a three-way contract between Golden Boy, Canelo, and the Zone. So they have to fulfill it. Poor guy. Um, he's got a family to feed anyway. Uh, so Canelo is not, in my view, just the way he is. He's not going to be forced into anything. But if you could tell Golovkin, who, who has been ensconced at 160 and says, hey, I'm a middleweight, I'm going to stay middleweight, it's just my opinion that if Canelo could basically quote unquote force Golovkin to come up to his weight, where he's probably comfortable now at 168, it would be his way of enforcing his A-side leverage and saying, see, I still control things, nobody else. And I think that's the compromise that'll get that third fight done. I completely agree with you. I think that's the play there. 
And again, no harm, no foul for Golovkin, because should he lose, he still keeps his title at 160. All right, you know, we talked a minute ago about the new media. And, you know, Steve, you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, I look at you and Doug Fisher as kind of the pioneers of the internet fight media, the podcasting world in boxing. I think the next round, if it wasn't the first boxing podcast, it was certainly one of the first. I just wanted to ask about the state of boxing media today, in your opinion. And if this subject's off limits, tell me to shut up. We'll move on. But where we're at right now versus 20 years ago, are are we better or worse, in your opinion? Uh, I think it's good. I actually don't mind it. Um, Look, everyone has a choice of what they could listen to. There are certain guys, to me, I don't take them seriously. I don't give them a hit. I don't ever retweet them. I am not against the new media. There's actually a lot of new media I like that I support. I've tried to help promote their own um, channels. You know, I'm not one of these old guys that believes that anything that isn't involving um, me as an individual is not credible. I, I think that's a very closed-minded way of looking at it. But you have to be very careful in situations like this to paint everybody with the broad brush. I don't believe that's fair. I don't believe that's right. You know, I think people know who I like. Uh, I, I retweet these people. I will go out there try to promote them. You know, and a lot of them, look, I think a lot of this is something beyond boxing. They want to use boxing as a platform for other things. But there's a lot of other guys that do a great job. So to, to paint everybody or to stereotype across the board, I think, would be completely, completely illogical. Um, you know, more and more, uh, I find myself watching YouTube instead of regular TV. And you can go down the rabbit hole, you know, those channels like yourself, there's Ring IQ, uh, Terrell Van, Pipe Street, or T-Street Controversy, I really like. Yep. Mr. Two Hands Up. And these guys are funny. I, I think one of the things that's very, very um, important for any of us that do this at any level is to understand and to accept other viewpoints. Um, when you get into a certain position, you start to almost have – I don't want to call it a God complex. It's not that serious. But you start to think whatever I think is the only viewpoint or it's the only viewpoint that should be expressed the way we do it. And, I, and I'm like, no, not really. Especially me coming from an independent background where I had to start my own websites and we didn't have editors. It's a little bit different than it is in a corporate setting. But I actually find a lot of these channels to be very informative and they, they're very funny. Entertaining. A lot of them, a lot of them are entertaining. I mean, it, it's, and I get a kick out of these guys. And sometimes I, I, they'll say something. And I'm like, Hmm, you know what? That's, that's not something I completely disagree with. So we have to be welcoming of other views um, and other viewpoints and other ways of doing things. And remember, we have the freedom of choice. There are other guys I look at as toxic. I, I don't take them very seriously. I don't pay them any mind. But there are others that I really do enjoy. So, I, I again, I don't think you can go out there and just throw everyone under uh, one umbrella. No, I, I completely agree, Steve. I mean, I started – I mean, I started blogging and everything, everything long before I did YouTube, but – I'm known by a lot of people simply from YouTube. They don't know I write for Ring or Boxing Monthly or any of this stuff. They know me simply from YouTube. So I agree that 
the the media seems to be shifting from, of course, newspapers and all that stuff now to social media. That's where it's at. A lot of deals happen on Twitter. But one thing that I am concerned about is, and I see this from mainstream media platforms now, it's not just kids on YouTube, is I see, I don't know how to put this, puff pieces. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not going to get into specific platforms because I, I know we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I see certain sites, it, it seems that they report positively when it pushes their agenda or the platforms that they're connected to. And then if it is negative about someone else, they're going to push that. Do you see that kind of stuff more and more? Do you know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah, I mean, of course. But again, I make the decision of who I'm going to read and who I'm not. And I hear you. I, I, there are certain people that I see, and I'm like, no, thank you. And I'm sure they feel the same way about me, which is fine. But, you know, look, my job is not to be the policeman of the media. That, that's another thing. It's just like, hey, look, and I tell these guys that try to be like the moral uh, authority of media, it's like, get over yourselves, worry about your own byline, shut up, put your head down, and go to work. What about no the woke brigade? Really cares about what you think about other writers. They don't. I, I'm honestly, a lot of these guys are trying to get up, get out there and try to make a name for themselves by trying right. to be the, you know, a Rudy Marsky of the boxing media. And I'm like, you know what? Why don't you write about the fights? I, I never really cared about that. Um, there's never been a, uh, an instance that I know of where I have sat down as a sports fan of other sports and I said, God, I wonder what this writer uh, thinks about this other writer. No, I care about the game. That's a good way you to know? put it. Yeah. Oh. The one thing I always tell, I mean, the woke guys on Twitter crack me up that go after, you know, like let's say the boxing rat, Kenny Keith and Vince Cummings. Those guys are hilarious. There's certain those people guys, on Twitter. Those, those are another guys I like. Those, those guys, guys are, are awesome. Yeah, yeah. But there's certain people on Twitter that are loosely connected to the fight media that bash the shit out of them. I've seen you get attacked. I know I've been, I just got attacked today for having some fun and trolling with the glove gate stuff. Those guys do annoy the shit out of me, but you've taught me, you've uh, kind of sat me down before and said, Mike, ignore these people and just freaking block them. So I do that now after having some fun with them. But uh, yeah, okay. That's just the dynamic of the media that I see. There's, it's so segmented. And what I try to remind people of is, look, if we disagree about something, who gives a shit? We agree about 95% of it. Boxing is a niche sport already. And there's some people so determined to divide boxing up into little groups. We're already a small group. I, I just I find it funny that people can't focus on the 95% we agree on and they want to focus on the 5% we disagree on. But um you know, Steve, I got to say, man, before I let you go, thank you very much, by the way, for being on the show, brother. I appreciate it. Man, I'm just, I'm so happy for you. Everything you're doing over at ESPN, the podcast with Mario, um, you guys are doing great. I saw you guys on the Plus a couple weeks back. That was pretty damn awesome. I don't know about the editing of that episode. The editing was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, that's a little different. Well, it was a little let, weird. Let me just give you a little inside baseball there. We had like 48 hours of a turnaround time. It, okay. It'll be a little bit different the second episode. I can promise you that. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, seeing uh, it looked like, hey, throw this together for fight week kind of a thing. But seeing Mario shadow box with your like voice, you were doing like a voiceover behind the camera. It was kind of fun. But uh, hey, man, seriously, uh, I'm, very, I'm so happy for you. I'm proud of you, bro. 
And uh, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Anytime, Mike. We'll do it again soon. All right, my man. I'll see you later. Thanks. Have a great week. You too. All right, there it is, guys. Mr. Steve ESPN Kim on the neutral corner. I thought that was some good stuff right there, man. And um, look, the one thing with Steve is he's an opinionated guy like myself. And um, I've seen Steve have to clean some things up on Twitter and on social and as he's moved up the ranks. And that's something I guess I have to start doing too. I have to stop trolling so much and stop having fun with the woke brigade and some of these guys that go after me. Sometimes it's just too damn fun though. I just can't help it. But yeah, slowly but surely got to phase that stuff out as we uh, move up the ladder. So um, I'm going to get to this fight review and preview Real quick, but we have a caller here. Uh, normally, I like to wait later in the show for calls, but this guy's been on the line for 13 minutes. So let me jump over to a quick call, and then we'll get to the fight review. Okay, guys? Uh, 8523. 8523, you are on the neutral corner. What's going on? 8523. Hi. How you doing? Uh, I'm Mike. Yes. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hi, this is Roberto from Peru. Hi, Roberto thanks, from uh, Peru. How are really you? Really happy to. Uh, fine, thanks. I'm really happy to <laughs> to hear about many people from boxing. And Steve King has a great show. You also have a great show. But I, I'm going to take the the opportunity to talk about something I you have uh, talked before. I have listened to you, your show long time, and there is one statement from you which is not true. Uh, I want to explain to you why. Okay. I know some people from Berchel's team. Uh, he is from Caballero. And we know Berchel is not running away from Jamel Herring. Berchel is waiting and ready to unify the 130 pounds. I know you are talking about this because things like this, but because Berchel was on the fight between Herring and Ito. Right. And this was because Tor Rank was expecting to Ito won that fight. Keep in mind, and that was the last fight from Ito, uh, Ito's contract with Tor Rank, and Herring won clearly this fight. And I, I, I was surprised about these this results. Since there, Herring was taking for a unification, but Tor, Rank, Tor Rank owns his promoter and avoids these negotiations. There are other plans for Herring. Berchert is expecting to fight Giorgio Diaz, Santa Cruz, Alvarado, Gervonta, Lomachenko, and for sure, German Herring. This year is waiting to fight against Valdez, who just informed the, if this fight hasn't been announced, it's because Valdez thing doesn't want it. They want more money, they have clauses like, like Canelo clauses, a hide it, and they request more money. Promoters accept everything, and until now, they didn't accept the fight. But Berchel wants to fight Valdez. Yeah, so, Roberto... And they want attention, they want something. No, you look, you bring up great they want points. Because I, below, you know, I, I know people from Berchel's team, and I want to, you, you know, Berchel is not running away from Jamal Haring. He wants to fight him, but the promoter doesn't want it. Well, that's, so, that's what I've always said. Roberto, it's not Oscar Valdez, I'm sorry, it's not um, Burchelt, Miguel Burchelt himself that is avoiding Jamel Herring. I think his management doesn't want to do that fight. Now, 
you could say ducking, avoiding. I'm not going to say that much. But there was a deal in place for the winner between Herring and Ito to fight Miguel Burchelt. Miguel Burchelt was there during fight week. He was there at the fight. He got in the ring after the fight. And they talked about doing that fight. So I believe Miguel Burchelt is more than willing to fight Jamel Herring. But his team did not. And I've been told this by people close to his team as well. His management, some people in his management, did not like that style matchup. They want to go and fight Oscar Valdez this year. I think that's a fantastic fight. But in terms of styles, that is a better style matchup for Miguel Burchelt. A much better style matchup for him. I just think that Jamel Herring's style is going to be very difficult for Burchelt. It doesn't mean Burchelt can't win. It's just a very difficult style for him that he's not going to look as good in that fight as he would look against Oscar Valdez. Which, by the way, that fight should happen this year, and I like that fight a lot. But I just want to make it clear, Roberto. I I was not accusing Miguel Mm -hmm. Burchelt himself of ducking or avoiding. His management did not like that fight. Okay, I I hope because I I talked with Berchel and he told me he has no issues fighting with Jamel Herring. It's, he told me it's easy fight. That's an easy fight. I don't <laughs> he, think it's an easy more fight. more to fight with Lomachenko than fight with Jamel Herring. I think yeah, Berchel wants to go after. Look, there are bigger names for him that bring more money. Okay, so from a business perspective, a fight against Oscar Valdez. That's a better style matchup for him. And especially in Los Angeles, that will do more money. He will make more money in that fight. Of course, a fight with Lomachenko or something like that would bring in a lot more money. Jamar Herring is not going to bring as much money and he's not going to look as good. It's a tough fight. So I understand. But trust me, his management did not want to fight Jamel Herring. Just believe me on that. Miguel probably okay. would fight anybody. <laughs> The fighter would would fight anybody, but the promoter, they have a different opinion. Roberto, I appreciate the call. I got to get to okay. the fight thank review, you. my friend. Thank you for the fun, for my five minutes, my friend. Okay, thank you. Thank Great you. Show. Thank uh, you. As always, my friend. Okay, bye bye. Bye. All right. Good call. Good call. Because look again, always a distinction. Sometimes fighters are ready to get in there and fight anybody and their management. And this is honestly the job of a manager, an advisor, a promoter, whoever, to stop their fighter and say, look, I don't know if we need to do that fight right now. Let's develop some other things. Let's make some money and let's build that fight up. Sometimes management does their fighter a disservice, though, by doing too much protection. In the case of Adam Kavnachi, who I'll talk about later in this episode, his team didn't do him any favors this weekend. In fact, let's get right to that. Fight review. Let's go to Brooklyn, New York, PBC on Fox, and let's go right into the main event, man. Uh, upset special, Robert Hellenius, all six foot six of them, 36 years old, improves to 30 and three with a TKO4 win over Adam Kavnachi, who uh, loses for the first time as a pro. This was a WBA title eliminator. I'm not going to hold my breath that the WBA enforces this. The plan, the WBA has bought into the PBC business. Since the PBC guy lost, that one just blew up the plan. 
So it would not surprise me if Hellenius is waiting for two or three years, seriously, guys, before he gets a shot at the full, quote-unquote, super title. It's going to be some interim, regular, blah, blah, blah bullshit that he's going to be in line for over the next year or so. Anyway, uh, Kavnachi. You go back, and I like him. He's a good guy. He makes for exciting fights. I've never seen him fight where it was boring. Okay, His last fight with uh, Chris Ariola. Chris Ariola set a CompuBox record for punches thrown. Okay, This guy is an exciting fight. So anytime he's fighting, I'll check it out. However, his resume coming into this fight was extremely weak. He's listed at 6'3". He's closer to 6'1". Remember, with heavyweights, they often add an inch, particularly here in America. I don't know why they do that here, but they do it everywhere. Anyway, his best win, maybe... I'm looking at Kavnachi's resume. His best win is probably Arthur Spielka coming off a loss, a dominant knockout loss to Deontay Wilder. That's probably his best win, man. Or it's going to distance with Charles Martin or going to distance with Chris Ariola. Those are his th- uh, old Chris Ariola, mind you. Those are his three best wins. Take a pick from those three. Those are his best wins. So, Full disclosure, we at Ring Magazine, we had Kovnachi rated in the top 10 this week. Uh, going into this fight, I should say. Uh, he, he won't be anymore. But that shows you, in a sense, how overrated this heavyweight division is right now by some people in the media. And one of the things I was trying to bring up with Steve Kim a minute ago when he was on, I just didn't want to go down that rabbit hole too long, but with the modern fight media is some of the hyperbole we get. And I think a lot of people are talking about this current heavyweight division like it's up there with the 1970s heavyweights or even the 1990s heavyweights. It's not. I think the fighters are more fan-friendly because they're more offensive-oriented. The guys who dominated the previous generation were chess players. They played chess in the ring. They get you out of there after, you know, lining up all their chess pieces to where they had you at checkmate, then they'd knock you out. These guys now, they're so flawed fundamentally that they have to rely on power to bail themselves out. We saw that with Wilder in how many fights, right? So the fact that Kavnachi could eke his way into the top 10, this is a guy who is pretty much universally recognized as a top 10 heavyweight coming into this fight. And anything could happen in the heavyweight division He was winning this fight, the first three rounds of the fight he won, and then it all fell apart, though, in the fourth round. And it just seems that he couldn't hurt Hellenius. This is a guy who is knocked out, stopped by Gerald Washington, okay? I don't believe in triangle theories. I'm not going to get into all that because Washington just lost to Martin, who lost to Kovnachi, so you could do this triangle thing. I'm not going to get into all that. But... This dude slipped into the top 10 by beating Arthur Spielka, coming off a loss, by beating Charles Martin and Chris Ariola in distance fights. First thing I noticed right in the first round is, God damn, uh, Kavnachi is slow, especially his right hand. Now, he was punching up at a taller target, a big, strong six foot six guy, and Hellenius did a pretty good job of leaning back. Hellenius has zero head movement. Does gives you no side to side, doesn't dip under anything or slip anything, but he does a pretty good job leaning back. And I just saw Kavnachi's right hand was so slow that Hellenius, for the most part, was able to simply lean back 
to avoid it. Or if it did land, it didn't land so flush that it hurt him. He didn't get the, Kabachi didn't get the leverage on those shots that he had in some other fights against like Gerald Washington and other tall guys that he was punching up at. Hellenius has enough skills and experience to get out of range for those shots. And it just took Kovnachi getting a little over-aggressive. I think they were kind of in the corner of the ring at one point uh, where Kovnachi had been backed up in the corner. And Hellenius, they kind of got tangled up and were just, uh, there was an exchange going. And Kovnachi landed a couple shots, but Hellenius landed a solid right hand from a six foot six guy who knows how to punch straight. The one thing Hellenius does is there's a nice right hand and a nice uh, left hook, I believe, to the body. He does those things pretty well. He got that shot in, and he had landed several body shots to Kavnachi to soften him up before that. Hard body shots. And that was enough. And Kavnachi was hurt, could not recover, fights over off of really one big shot that he didn't see coming because his fundamentals were so poor. He was so squared up in this exchange that he just got clipped. And it just kind of shows you again, I think people need to pump the brakes on this heavyweight division. I like the division right now. It's exciting because there is no clear. I think clearly now you got to say Tyson Fury's the guy, but Anthony Joshua is right there. Okay. And Deontay Wilder and all those guys are right up there close to them. Okay. On any given night, any of these guys could win. They really could. So that's exciting. I get why people are excited. But some of the hyperbole around this division, it's a little too much too soon, okay? And with Kavnachi, PBC, and they're not the only ones who do this, but they were building this guy up and propping him up. And look, he had a fan base there in uh, Brooklyn with the Polish fan base. I get it. Ethnically, they had a good thing going there. Kavnachi does good crowds there in Brooklyn. He had fought in New York multiple times and done good crowds, and he was exciting. But if you look at who this guy was beating, who he was fighting, clearly his management did not do their homework on Robert Hellenius. They said, oh, another guy from Europe, stands straight up. He's been stopped a few times. He's nothing. You go back and you look at the tape of this guy, okay, there is something there. Robert Hellenius is an experienced guy. Hasn't looked good in recent years, but he's been in there with some very good fighters. And if you're going to put your prospect, and that's truly what Kavnachi was. He was not a contender yet. He was just a prospect. But we live in an age where prospects have world titles. Prospects get top 10 ratings now. It's not just in the heavyweight division. Okay, That's the era we live in in boxing. It's so watered down. That this dude was a prospect. If you're going to put your prospect in there with an experienced guy like that, you better sit down with him and watch some tape and explain to him what this guy brings and all the experience he has and the guys he's been in the ring against. They didn't do that. Because it's clear to me that Kevnachi went in there guns blazing. It was pretty much fighting him the way he fought Chris Ariola, Charles Martin, and those other guys. And I'm sorry, Hellenius, on his best night, has more to offer than those fighters. So anyway, uh, wow, that was upset special. That's the upset of the year so far, right? And anytime you see, look, man, anything can happen in the heavyweight division. It really can. That division is more susceptible to upsets just because the guys are so big and you get clipped with one shot, that could be it. Also heavyweights on this card, F.A. Ajagba. 
prospect, improved to 13-0, TKO 9 over Razvan Kojanu. I'm surprised this went this long. Kojanu has been softened up, been stopped multiple times. He's now lost five of his last six. He's been dropped multiple times in that process. He was dropped twice in this fight. So F.A. Ajagba does some things well. There are some tools there. There's some stuff he can work with. But boy, is there a lot to fix and tighten up. So they need to pump the brakes with this kid and get him in there with more styles. Build him up a little bit more. Don't just build up that undefeated record and throw him in there with a Robert Hellenius type or he's going to get pieced up just like Havnachi just did. Also, Cuban heavyweight prospect Frank Sanchez, who now trains out of Las Vegas, improved to 15-0 with a unanimous decision win over Joey Devechko, who has lost four of his last five. Frank Sanchez, it was kind of like watching paint dry. I don't see a whole lot there. I see a poor man's Luis Ortiz, honestly, who I feel is a little overrated. I think a lot of these Cubans are getting overrated these days, particularly Cuban heavyweights. Uh, Good, decent skills with Frank Sanchez. He's not trashed. There's some tools there. They list this guy at 27, but he looks about 47. I don't know what it is about some of these guys from Cuba uh, that look twice as old as they're listed as. Uh, But, yeah, this dude does not look 27. Holy shit. Honestly, he looks a lot older than me, and I'm 40. So, also, also Saturday... In Manchester, matchroom on the zone, Joan O'Carroll of Ireland scores a TKO 11 win over Scott Quigg. Was a virtual shutout up until the time of the stoppage. Great performance from Carroll, did what he was supposed to do, but Scott Quigg, his corner threw in the towel there in uh, the 11th, really just looked, I hate to use this word, it's overused, he looked like a shot fighter. How about this? If we don't like the word shot, he looked like a spent bullet. How about that one? That one's not used as much. Zero fights in 2019 for Quig. And I talked about the fact he had a really tough fight with Oscar Valdez in 2018. I was ringside for that fight. Brutal fight for him. And just to me, it's time to walk into the sunset. So it's time to hang him up. And that's it. Actually, I'm looking here on the chat. Am I seeing this correctly? Chris Bergen says that Quig has retired now. Oh, is that true? So uh, I'm asking Chris Bergen in the chat says he's retired. Chris, is that official? Is he officially retired? Because if so, that's breaking news. And I think that's good for him. Carved out a great career for himself and should walk away now. Should definitely walk away. All right, let's get into the fight preview. Quick reminder for those of you who want to call in. 213-267-7787 here in the USA. And from the UK, 02081-036051. All right. Uh, This week, Friday the 13th. Friday, March 13th, there's a Telemundo card from Mexico City. And we have a Showbox card from Salida Promotions in Hinkley, Minnesota, featuring undefeated uh, welterweight prospect, Brandon Lee out of California, 18-0, 20 years old. He will be in his first 10-rounder. So that's what's up Friday the 13th. Uh, let's jump to a quick call here. Uh, if I can click the button, the right button. Okay, uh, 3538, you are on the neutral corner. Go. Yo, how's it going, Mike? This is Max from Ireland again. Going and well, Max. How are you? Awesome, 
I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Everybody should hit the like button because people don't tell people to, but they should hit the like button to support the channel, as always. Um, yeah, touching on the PBC situation, um, the PBC, uh, pretty much all of their top dogs at heavyweight are coming off of losses now. Adam Kuznaski, Andy Ruiz, uh, Luis Ortiz, and Deontay Wilder. They're all on back-to-back losses. And we're seeing like this little subtle change with the PBC now. Like They were very being very protective. They kind of have just somehow lost a lot of things. Spence has had a car crash. Pacquiao's coming towards the end. Luis Neri can't make weight in his prime weight division, so he's now moving up. We're seeing a lot of changes. Keith Thurman with the injuries. Sean Porter maybe only has two years at the top of the game before he'll have to go to 154 before he can make weight. The 154 division is like a hotbed of people falling off. And I was just wondering, what are your thoughts overall on the nature of where PBC is going? Because to me, it looks like there's a rapid decline that has pretty much happened in the last six months. And now it's starting to spiral out of an uncontroll uh, up to an uncontrollable level. Yeah, that's uh, wow. Good question. I, I think it's a couple things, man. Uh, number one, over the last year, year and a half, PBC finally started making the fights, the matchups that they promised when they launched in 2015. Now they put them all on pay-per-view, right? All these fights were on pay-per-view. They weren't on free TV like they promised everyone. But they started matching some of their guys pretty tough. And when you do that, fighters are going to lose. So the first few years PBC was around, it was just puff pieces. It was fluff. It was, you, and they're not, they're not the only platform that does this. Okay, Shakur Stevenson ha, has a showcase matchup, and he's with Top Rank, and that's happening this weekend. Okay, so it happens everywhere, but PBC over the last few years, look, man, you put Keith Thurman in there against Manny Pacquiao. Both those guys are PBC. One's going to come out with a win. One's going to come out with a loss. But Keith Thurman, maybe there was some smoke and mirrors happening there with the way he was built up. And he, I'm not going to say he got exposed against Manny, but it, we sure saw Keith's real true level. Okay, And we just saw that with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. I think Mikey Garcia was absolutely outclassed by Errol Spence. Errol Spence screwed everything up with that car crash. He was really the – you think about it. Spence and Wilder were the two guys they were really banking on to become the new stars, right? To push things forward. And they used Mikey Garcia to build up Errol Spence. The plan was to then use Manny Pacquiao to build him up to the next level, right? There is a plan there. They were going to try to use Tyson Fury to build Deontay Wilder's brand. Well, somehow or another, all that's kind of fallen apart. And if you look at the new guys that are supposed to take over for that generation, these new prospects, I don't know, man. Gervonta Davis, is he the guy? I know he's technically a Mayweather guy, but he's loosely affiliated with uh, PBC. I'm not seeing Floyd Mayweather 2.0 with Gervonta Davis. I think that guy at some point is going to get matched up with a fighter that's going to, I don't want to say exposed, (laughs) but is going to um, show his limitations. How about that? So I'm with you. Mm-hmm. There, there are issues there. Meanwhile, if you look at some of these other platforms, they've been building themselves up and matching their guys better. And now I think Top Rank is poised for a gigantic year, a gigantic year. They had a really down year last year, but they're, they're going to have a huge 2020. Matchroom obviously is doing some big stuff. If we end up actually getting 
a fight between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, whether it's the end of this year or beginning of next year, that's massive. And PBC, who just had all of the heavyweight belts, now has none. So, yeah. I mean, wow. I didn't think about it that way, but that's a hell of a good point, man. Awesome. And can can I say one more thing? Um, Just on the PBC real quick. Um, So last year, like the pay-per-view model in America, like the PBC was originally set up to be like freeview, whatever. But last year they had five pay-per-views. They had Pac versus Thurman, Waldo Ortiz, Pac Broner, Spence Porter, and Spence Garcia. And that that seventy four ninety five for standard definition came out three hundred and seventy four dollars and seventy five cent, and people still want to say that it's the best platform, or whatever. But most of the best fights are available through only pay per view. Now ESPN had one at sixty nine ninety five standard definition for Crawford Khan, but they sixty dollars. So like if you look at ESPN and the Zone last year. The overall cost for ESPN and the zone combined, including the pay-per-view from ESPN, was cheaper than just those five pay-per-view alone for the PBC. Are do you are you seeing seeing this yourself where the the market that PBC are trying to I, I would essentially say exploit too, especially with the so called new media stuff and the outlawing of the exploitation of fans. Are, are, do you think that that was uh intended or originally set up by the PBC, or do you think that's just the nature of the business? It's a little bit of both, but I, I, first of all, I invite you to watch a video that I did, I think last year where I compared those three platforms and I went back and I showed you the cost and what you got for the money. I broke down their best fights and what it cost you each month and, you know, collectively for the entire year for each platform uh, yeah, that, that pay-per-view that top rank had between Crawford and Khan was dog shit. There's no defending that. But outside of that, their value on ESPN and ESPN Plus was outstanding. zone's value last year was second to none. You literally have to go back to the 90s to find a better schedule than they had in the fourth quarter last year. PBC brought some great matchups, but they were all pay-per-view. And several of those pay-per-views were absolutely a manipulation of fans. Pacquiao Broner, that was not a pay-per-view worthy fight. Broner has no business in a boxing ring with Manny Pacquiao. Okay. Um, Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia, not a pay-per-view fight. Nobody asked for that damn fight. Did not belong there. Now look, I traveled to Dallas and covered it, right? I covered it for Ring Magazine. So I was intrigued with the matchup, but Mikey Garcia has no business at 147. There was just no point to it. When you look at, the and they're doing the same thing with Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz, they're manipulating fans. So they're going to use the Mexican-American fan, I'm just telling you the way the business works. They're going to use the Mexican-American fan base to buy into that fight, to spend, they're going to spend the bulk of the money actually buying tickets to that fight and buying the pay-per-view. That's the reality of the demographics, the trending analysis, all that evidence is there, guys. You can look at who's spending the money, believe me, the promoters know. It doesn't mean that Javante Davis's fans won't spend the money either because Javante Davis has done crowds. He did a crowd, big crowd here in Atlanta. I was there for that fight. But they're going to use Leo Santa Cruz's name to manipulate Javante Davis's fans, particularly young fans that are newer to the sport, casual fans that are like, oh, this is the new Floyd. This is Floyd's new guy. Let me jump on board with this guy. Let me jump on this train. Leo Santa Cruz's name, he's a multi-division champion, quote-unquote. 
is going to prop up and build Javante Davis's name. And from there, they can make him a pay-per-view fighter. It's a manipulation of fans. All promoters do it, but it does seem to happen more on the PBC side of the house. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that to be a hater or to bash PBC. It's just the reality. The evidence is there. Just look at the evidence. Look at the track record. Yeah, right, great call, appreciate Mark. Appreciate it, Mike. Have a good one. You too, brother. All right, we've got a super chat pledge from Robert Palmer. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, man. He says, top rank would have done Pacquiao versus Adrian Broner, Spence versus Garcia on pay-per-view if they were signed to them. They would do Leo Santa Cruz tank on pay-per-view if they were signed to them. Uh, Maybe. Look, I just said they did Terrence Crawford versus Amir Khan on pay-per-view, and that was dog shit. That wasn't a pay-per-view fight. Nobody asked for that damn fight. The only thing I'll say to their defense, is that no one wants to fight Terrence Crawford. They've made offers. They've made multiple offers to Danny Garcia more than one time. They offered him a career-high payday. He was told to turn it down. They've tried to work across the aisle to make those fights. Okay, It's not, again, it's not that other promoters don't do this. Top Rank has a showcase fight for Shakur Stevenson this weekend in New York. Okay, So all promoters do this. But last year... Look, Top Rank did several unification fights, several of them last year, and worked across the aisle to get it done. Look at light heavyweight, Vajdik, and um, why can't I think of his name? Beterbiev, right? Great fight, unification. They did uh, Maurice Hooker and uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez, right? Neither of those were pay-per-view, okay? When that happens on the other side of the street, it's going to pay-per-view. Five pay-per-views versus one. Okay, different track record, dude. And we can back up before this. There's a track record there. If you just look objectively, it's not me hating on PBC. In terms of the fights they put on last year, they destroyed Top Rank. I've said it multiple times. Top Rank had a shitty 2019 for the most part. They did make for some great unification fights, but they didn't have any big fights. They're star fighters. Lomachenko, Crawford, Fury. They didn't have big matchups last year, but they positioned themselves well in this year. Their guys are having big matchups. Dude, you're about to get Lomachenko and Lopez. Now, that might go to pay-per-view. That sucks, but that's a unification fight to determine the legitimate lightweight champion of the world. If that goes pay-per-view, I hate that. I don't like that, but that's a damn good fight. So, uh, look, man, they all do certain things, some more than others, all right? Some more than others. Real quick, guys, Saturday, March 14th, there's a Thompson boxing card from Orange, California. Uh, 135-pound prospect Michael Dutchover in the main event there. Nico Hernandez is going to make his bare-knuckle boxing debut. He is a 2016 bronze medalist in the Rio Games out of Kansas, 7-0, uh, flyweight prospect doing some bare knuckle boxing and PBC on Fox Sports one at the MGM Oxon Hill, Maryland, James Kirkland. Apparently he's not dead. Remember that KO loss to Canelo in 2015, uh, zero fights from 2016 to 2018 fought two journeyman last year. He's fighting on this card. Why? I don't know. Top rank on ESPN from Madison Square Garden Theater. Shakur Stevenson, 13-0, seven knockouts, 22 years old, Southpaw. A prospect, but a prospect 
with a title. The first defense of the vacant WBO featherweight title that he won last October, going up against Miguel Mariaga, 29 and 3, 33 years old. Mariaga loses every time he steps up. Unanimous decision losses to Nicholas Walters and Oscar Valdez, and he retired against Lomachenko. He's going to lose this fight too. Also on this card, Jesse Magdaleno going up against Sakaria Lucas, 10 rounds featherweights. All right. Got a couple of calls here. Let's jump over to these calls. All right, two four six. You are on the neutral corner. Go. Yeah, Mike. Two four six. This is the area code for Barbados. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Doing great. Kenneth, I'm here from Bridgetown, Barbados. I was just listening to the program, and you know, I was watching the Kornaki fight last weekend. I was really worried, and you know, I had a question for you, especially you know something that. You can influence. Uh, Adam Kornacki had no business in the Ring Magazine top 10. You know, this is scientific. I don't know why, you know, rankings in boxing are not scientific. You know, uh, if you look at other sports, UFC, football, soccer, it is pretty scientific. Uh, for him to have been in the top 10 without fighting anyone to displace the person from the top 10, that just sucks, you know. I'd always known that the guy was a prospect, and when he got his first big challenge, he was really going to get um, a, a real big um, bad decision against him. So uh, I think uh, within your ranks at the Ring Magazine, even if the other the sanctioning bodies are uh, they're cooking up their, their 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 rankings, the Ring Magazine should remain, you know, pure in the sense that you have to earn your right to be in the top ten. And so uh, names like Adam Kornacki and, you know, Daryl Miller, they should be nowhere near the top 10 unless if they are knocking off someone that was, you know, originally in the top 10 of the Ring Magazine rankings. Now, I agree with you, Kenneth. On, on that one, we totally missed the ball. I can tell you, like, the sanctioning organization ratings don't put any credence into that. They're horrible, all of them. They're all pretty much shit. Okay, and there's a lot of politics involved there. But with Ring Magazine, what we do, and we do the same thing at Boxing Monthly, we have a panel of writers, analysts, pundits, whatever word you want to use, from around the world, all different walks of life, points of view. And we get together and basically have an argument every Sunday over email, just discussing what took place the previous week and what updates should we make. Some people participate more than others. But for the most part, everyone jumps in and gives their opinion. And it's a democratic process. The heavyweight division right now is so wide open. And as I talked about earlier in the show, the fundamentals are so bad. And people rely on their offense so much. It, it, honestly, it's top heavy. The top five or so are pretty damn good. But after that, it gets really murky. It's sometimes mm -hmm. just difficult to find a guy because you got if you have a top 10 we don't do vacancies we do vacancies for our championships but like the IBF sometimes they'll have the top 3 ranking spots just vacant we don't do that we put a name in there so the the ratings were so all over the place with all the upsets and everything going on over the last year or so Kavnachi is one of those guys that just kind of snuck in there and look, I think he was just there. Sorry, he. I think he was a, a few names are just there because they are unbeaten, and that's unfortunate. We expect fighters to have losses, you know. And you know, you guys really have to go through your rankings and look at it and see who is he beaten. 
I mean, Luis Ortiz. Uh, I've put up a picture that I got from, uh, I think, Hartman uh, several times on Twitter. And you look at the names in the top 10, you know, rankings, and you look at who have they beaten in the top 10. And you see that very few of them have fought other fighters in the top 10. The only person that's fought maybe four or five fighters in the top 10 is Anthony Joshua. So, I mean, Luis Ortiz, who has Luis Ortiz beaten in the top 10? Why, is he in the t- why would he be in the top 10? You know, Dillian White put, is there on merit. There? Who do you put? That's well. You have to put. You know, there are, there are fighters out there that are demanding fight. Look at Michael Hunter. He's demanding fight. He's he's fought Povetkin. If Michael Hunter should fight someone in the top ten, he should move up. You know, if he wins, he should move up. But quite a lot of fighters are just there on name only or by hearsay from people like um, Deontay Wilder, who has beaten Luis Ortiz a couple of times. But Luis Ortiz, I've been watching him when he was at matchroom boxing. He's beaten no one that we know of that. Is you know, you know, um, well enough to be in the top ten. So, uh, like you said, it's top heavy and it's just disappointing. That, that's just my call. I don't want to take too much of your time this afternoon. No, I Thanks appreciate so it, man. That was, you know, what great points, and I'll bring this up this weekend when I talk with the panel. So, thank you. Have a good one. All right. The great points by Kenneth. I gotta say, Kenneth, if you're still listening, or if you listen later, let me just go over very, very quickly, guys. Okay. Our, our heavyweight ratings at ring, the champion, of course, Tyson Fury. Then it's Joshua. Then it's Dillian White. Then it's Deontay Wilder. I know that order right there pisses a lot of people off. Four is Ortiz, who I, I think he's rated too highly. Then it's Andy Ruiz, Alexander Povetkin, Joseph Parker, Michael Hunter's number eight. Kovnachi is number nine. He's probably going to drop out of the ratings once we update it. We haven't updated it. And then Oscar Rivas. So... Based on what we just saw, what do you do? Do you take Kavnachi out and then you bring in Hellenius at number 10? Maybe. Maybe we could bring Hellenius in at number 10. But I understand the guys are like, man, how are some of these guys in the top 10? What what have they done? My response to that is, who else is there? That just shows you, again, the, the talent right now in a division is not quite as strong as some people in the media are making it out to be. It's difficult. And we've had a big shakeup over the last year or so. Several guys in the top 10 have lost. So how do you juggle losses, because not all losses are equal, versus wins? Not all victories are equal. In my opinion, Dillian White clearly has better victories and has faced overall better opposition collectively than Deontay Wilder. Now, does that mean I would favor White to beat Deontay Wilder? Not necessarily. I think Deontay Wilder would be the favorite in that fight. So you can argue Deontay Wilder is a better fighter, quote-unquote. However, based and passes the eye test, he's never failed a drug test, Dillian White has had issues with performance-enhancing drugs, all of that. However... Right now, based off of the win, they they each have one loss, okay, one loss. And in Dillian White's one loss against Anthony Joshua, he fared much better than Deontay Wilder fared against Tyson Fury in his one loss. So you could argue that Dillian White's loss was better. And then if you look at who he's beat, the guys he's beat are better than the one good victory that Wilder has, which is... Uh, which is Luis Ortiz. Also, you could also make a very good argument that Deontay Wilder should have two losses on his record, that he got a gift 
got away with one getting a draw in that first fight with Tyson Fury. So, again, this is the discussions that we have on the ratings panel. And we take all opinions and we chop it up and we do the best with what we have. I would match our ratings. I'd put them up against any sanctioning organization, any other ratings platform. What is it, the transnational ratings board? I can't even think. There's that. There's ESPN. There's PBC has their own ratings. Right? I think Ring's ratings are the best in the world. I think Boxing Monthly's ratings are very good, too. I, I work with both platforms. But I think Ring's are the best. I truly, truly do. It doesn't mean that we're 100% spot on all the time. It's a democratic process. Sometimes fighters are going to slip through the cracks. But, again, I just gave you guys our top 10. Who the hell would you put in in place of the guys that I listed? It's very, very difficult when things are so watered down. And, number two, these guys, they don't fight other guys in the top 10, like Kenneth said. So they kind of build up their records, and you just kind of have to do the best with the eye test. And you have to rate wins against other guys' wins, losses against other guys' losses. I can tell you this. Adam Kovnachi squeezed into the top 10, not because he was undefeated. That had nothing to do with it. I just We didn't know who else to put in front of him at this point. Now we do. Clearly, Robert Hellenius is in front of him. Super chat pledge from Trini. Thank you so much, Trini. I appreciate it, man. All right, guys. We have a couple more calls here, and then we're going to wrap the show up. Been going for almost an hour and a half. Good show today. Uh, four four seven nine. You are on the neutral corner. Go. Hello, Mike. It's Hamid from the UK. How's it going? Good. How are you, Hamid? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I I don't have too many questions about boxing, but uh, I'm sure you've been keeping up to what's been going on in the boxing community with you know all the conspiracy theories and all that. I was just gonna get into a couple of stuff. I seen a video. From one of the YouTubers, uh, I won't mention the name, but I think you probably know what I'm talking about. He made an allegation on uh, on YouTube saying Fury tested positive. And he said he had some sort of sources. But i seen the, the WBC, I think it was Maurizio Suleiman, saying that Fury tested negative. Like, can people do something about stuff like that? Because if you've got a YouTube channel with over 50,000 subscribers and they call yourself you're calling yourself a journalist to me that that's a lack of integrity and you could you should really get sued for stuff like that because you're you're putting out false information which uh, has been proved to be not true like what do you think about that whole thing i completely agree hamed and first of all let me just say i mean i spoke with the vada folks they were there that night they tested both fighters um that night and if Anything had come back positive, we'd certainly know about it by now. If, let's say, weeks from now, something comes up and something is positive, it'll be reported in a legitimate fight press. And this goes back to what I was talking with Steve Kim a little bit about at the top of the show. Unfortunately, some of these YouTube fan channels, and that's the way this individual you're speaking, I know who you're talking about, he's a fan. He's a fanboy that has a very popular YouTube channel and knows a few people. And because of that, he could get credentialed to fights. That's really all it takes now in this state of media because promoters are desperate to get guys in there that are social media influencers. So the thing is, there's freedom of uh, speech and they can say whatever they want. 
you could try to flag that video and report it and say that what he's saying is not true and libelous. You could, what I would honestly do, dude, I would copy the video. I wouldn't do it on Twitter. I'd maybe do it over email, but uh, get the link and email it to top rank, email it to NSAC, email it to the WBC and just let top rank and PBC, by the way, email it to them and just say, listen, you're credentialing this guy to fights. This is what he's saying about you guys. I can tell you right now, I do that. I know Steve has done it. There are multiple people in the fight media. We talk about this stuff behind the scenes. I'm not going to tweet it out, but we talk about it over the phone. We email stuff. I've emailed several of these videos directly to guys like uh, Tim Smith at PBC And they've looked at that and said, all right, that's enough. We're blacklisting this person, that person. It works. That's the best thing you could do, Hamed, is make the promoters aware. Yeah, that's a a good point because I remember you mentioning that after the, you know, when Canelo fought, I think it's Triple G and that 118-110 scorecard, a lot of people had outrage. I, I know a lot of people were, uh, letting the outrage out on Twitter, but I mean that's true. If you want to directly, that's a good point. If you want to directly contact uh, these people who are available as well, I, I think we we should all try and email them. I was gonna say the bad thing about what happened was Fury won fair and square. Apart from Wilder, if you take his fans away, pretty much everyone agrees, and it was a one-sided fight. I, I think Wilder barely went around and. First, it was the gloves, then they accuse, they've accused him now of uh, taking PDs. Uh, even though Wilder's made some ridiculous excuses, I don't think he's mentioned those two. I think his no. fans, although Wilder is a bit crazy and comes across delusional, I think his fans are probably worse. At least he's oh, of in course. the ring. And all like, fighters, he, look, all fighters have delusional fans. It's not just Deontay Wilder. However, I've never seen a reaction like this. And Deontay Wilder is not responsible for what anybody else says. Okay, let me make that clear. But I do think he is fed into this a little bit. And again, Hotmed, I got a couple more calls. I got to jump off. Yeah. But I would highly recommend you emailing this video to top rank and to everybody else involved in the promotion. This information is public. If you yeah. need to, if you can't find the email, um, DM me. Okay? I can't Can I give you... Can- executive people's uh, okay. direct email, but I can give you their general email. Okay. Make them aware, okay? I, I, I was just going to say, uh, Wilder doesn't help. I've seen him on some of these channels doing interviews with these guys. So he's pandering to those guys. So of course. He deserves his blame, but uh, you made a good point. I think uh, more people should try and call these guys up and start contacting all the industry. But thanks for taking my call. Appreciate thanks it. a lot, Hamed. Yeah, guys, I would definitely say when you see that sort of stuff where they're just outright lying and what they're saying is technically libelous, don't tweet it. Don't give these guys clicks. Don't get into shouting matches with them in the comments section. Simply copy the link and email it to the promoter and just say, listen, why are you credentialing this guy at your fights? The best thing to do is to get these people away from the fight scene, period. I'm not, and by the way, I want to be clear about this. I'm not talking about people that I just have a different opinion than or disagree with. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are outright lying and saying things like Fury tampered with the gloves. Uh, Fury took performance enhancing drugs. 
the Nevada State Athletic Commission is corrupt and they're in on this, blah, blah, blah. That kind of shit's ridiculous. Put these people on blast. The promoters don't want them there. Trust me. All right. Uh, 512, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Hey, what's up, Mike? How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, I know this this was like a week ago, but I want to talk about the Mikey Garcia, Jesse Vargas event because I was there live and it happened to be a lot better than I expected it to be. Yeah, let's t- when, uh, you were there at the arena. That was a good crowd. It was a good card, man, just top to bottom. Best card we've had in a while. Uh, what were some of your thoughts, bro? Uh, it was, I mean, I mean, I enjoyed pretty much all the three co-main fights, especially the Chocolatito fight. I I was actually afraid that he was going to lose badly like he did against Rungby's side, but I didn't expect him to come out like that and just batter uh, – uh, Kafai like Kafai like that. I was very surprised to be honest. Yeah, I think we all were. I mean, it didn't surprise me that he won, but I thought if he won, it'd probably go to the cards or something like that. But to see him completely destroy the guy, it was great. And you couldn't help but be happy for Chocolatito because those two tough losses to Rungvisai. It really looked like he was done. It was almost reminiscent of when Pacquiao got knocked out by Marquez. And then years later, he was able to come back and have this other run. And to see that with Chocolatito, now who knows? He might lose his next fight. We don't know. But that was just a great night. I feel like diehard fans just enjoyed that moment. Oh, yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the fans definitely enjoyed that. There are a lot, there are, it was pretty much, of course, pro-Mikey fans and pro-Chocolatito fans as well. Yeah, what would you think about Mikey? Against Vargas. Mikey, I mean, he's, I don't know about him being in the top 10. Obviously, he didn't really prove anything. I felt like he should have fought Jesse Vargas before fighting Errol Spence to see that he he belongs in the weight division. That's a great though, point. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, Jesse Vargas pretty much won the first four rounds, in my opinion, just with his jab. I'm just surprised that Mike was just so hesitant. I felt like he, he was kind of afraid. I felt like it was just something that he experienced against Errol Spence because Spence could have stopped him. I'm surprised he didn't stop him at all, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, I I think um, Vargas looked really good early. And then Mikey, being the sniper he is, saw an opening, caught him with a shot in the temple. Vargas' legs were gone. And they didn't really come back until like the ninth, tenth round, like late in the fight. And then so so Vargas kind of had a late run uh, late rounds rally, but he was almost out on his feet there in the fifth round, and the fact that he was able to go the distance, uh, it's really surprising. I, I just I think Mikey Garcia is going to do pretty well against Pacquiao, but if Manny is on his game that night, it could be like a one sided decision, basically a repeat of Spence Garcia. But, man, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it, bro. I appreciate it, Mike. I'll catch you around, man. All right, man. Have a good one. See you later. All right. All right, we're going to do one more call, guys, and then we're going to call it. Uh, 3538, you're on the neutral corner. Last call of the show. How you doing? Yeah, I just wanted to call back in just because of Hamed's call, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, Mark, I thought that was you. I recognize the number. Go ahead, yeah. man. Go 
Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm I'm pretty much part and parcel myself of the YTBC. So I pay attention a lot to what's going on with the channels and the new media, etc. And for everybody out there with the fake news and everything, completely fake news. Um, a, a channel who was mentioned earlier, who I will say again by Steve Kim, Ring IQ helped expose um, that along with myself because I found I I, I highlighted to him the tweet. Um, that was the the tweet that was used by this channel with these sixty thousand plus subscribers, right? So what he what he said is he according to multiple sources and now maybe maybe I, I I'm being silly or anything, but I knew five days ago Fury actually cleared about it. Right. Um and I think that was already widely known. Even people I'm sure people at Ring Magazine already knew he did, but they just hadn't made it public because the roundup date wasn't until after the Kubnatsky situation that's why Mauricio Solomon did that he'd already cleared Vada the hold up with releasing the information was wilder because of his first sample not being able to do it because of blood in his urine and it being slightly contaminated or whatever the situation was now they decided to go on this narrative this absolutely disgusting narrative and Mike like you know as well as I do it's only because they're trying to turn a profit because the situation is the well is drying up for those channels because Wilder's now going to be on the decline and they're praying he can win this next match that's the whole situation there. I, I myself, I'm just a hardcore boxing fan. Uh, I just love the sport. I just want to see the best happen. But they're taking advantage of people who are searching for something based off of fandom, and it's genuinely repulsive. And like you say, the best thing that can be done is emailing the people, the executives that places. Go and email Frank Smith over at Matchroom. Go and email Top Rank. Go and email them. Send them the videos that these people are creating this fake news and spread it as much as you can that they are they are creating these narratives and committing libel pretty much libel and yeah. slander towards fighters based off of something that was off of photoshop it's absolutely disgusting yeah and it, that's all it, i it, wanted to say huh? all right man thank you so much well said have a good night and just to follow up on that look that was perfectly stated Guys, I'm going to, you know what, going forward, we're going to repeat this, okay? Because these people, and I'm talking about these channels that do this stuff. And again, it's in all sectors of media, but <clears throat> these specific channels with this specific case, it's really gone beyond the level of insanity with this Glovegate thing and everything else. They do negatively influence things, okay? Because there are young fans out there. There are fans that are branded in the sport. Maybe, maybe you're a 17-year-old kid and you saw Deontay Wilder fight for the first time three years ago and he's your favorite fighter and you're a casual fan. You pretty much only watch when Deontay's fighting. And you go around YouTube, as most young people do, looking for these interviews and looking for all this stuff because that's how you uh, consume media. And you start seeing these videos. That fan's going to grow up thinking... Uh, just believing in all this craziness, number one. But then th you're teaching this person to believe something that's factually incorrect. So you're creating an ignorant, uneducated fan. That fan is going to go out there and tweet stuff and ask questions to guys like me that I have to try to correct. And so I get stuck in a place where I have to correct all this stuff all the time. It's not just me. It's, it's everybody. It, there's a residual effect here. And also, beyond any of that, that's just annoyance. 
it creates divisiveness in this world. And as I said at the top of the show, boxing is a niche sport. It's boxing against the world. All of us, whether we have uh, disagreements about the styles we prefer, whatever it is, we agree at 95% of this shit because we're boxing fans. That's why we're here. Every single member of the fight press from just a, some kids starting off on YouTube all the way to the top guys like Steve Kim are all diehard fight fans. That's what brings them to that world. You're a diehard fight fan. For some people to knowingly manipulate people on their channels, and YouTube is a place where you could do that. You can't, if you write for Ring TV, you can't say that kind of stuff. You'll get fired. I can't write bullshit on Ring TV. I can't write crazy stuff for Boxing Monthly. Or if you're writing for ESPN. Now, there are a couple of mainstream boxing sites that I've seen turn toward the clickbait stuff and post some questionable stuff. That's made me a little concerned recently. But if you write or work for a mainstream, reputable publication, you can't get away with this stuff. You just can't. But if you just have a YouTube channel, you can do whatever the hell you want, as long as you're not violating YouTube's rules. So a lot of these guys build up massive platforms on YouTube because they push this divisive conspiracy theory stuff. A lot of it's racialized or nationalistic, conspiratorial, political. There is a market out there for that stuff. And these guys are profiting and making money off of this. I don't give a shit if they want to make money off of stupid people. I really don't give a damn. What I care about is when they hurt the sport of boxing, and that's what they're doing. So guys, stop tweeting these videos out. Stop commenting on their videos. You don't realize it, but even if you thumbs down their video, that's an interaction on their channel. That helps them. If you comment and you get into shouting wars with people and you end up commenting 40 times on a video, that's helping them because that's traffic on their channel. Best thing you could do, simply copy the link, email the promoters. Let them know what these people are doing. Let's get them blacklisted so they don't go to fights anymore. We don't need this shit around at events. We don't need it. Our sport already has enough problems, okay? All right, guys, great show tonight. Great show. I say tonight even though it's the afternoon here on the East Coast. But it is night for a lot of you guys watching. Great calls, man. I appreciate it, everybody. Uh, We'll do it again next week. Oh, real quick before I jump off, Cooking with Joel, my man Joel Morgan with the Super Chat. Thank you so much. He says, splitting the fan base with divisive stories does nothing but hurt the sport, and it pisses real true boxing fans off. Joel, I couldn't have said it better myself, my man. Everyone have a great day. See you at the fights.